pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Audio Vault on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. 225-2121 or online at mybestbailbonds.com. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, The Saturday Morning Hangover. Good Saturday morning and welcome into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. Of course, you can catch us on YouTube. Search San Antonio Sports Star, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. I'm James Pledger. Jack Thompson and Katie Goodman are out this morning, so I will be flying solo, but I plan to keep you entertained for two hours up until 11 o'clock. Our lead story is the Kentucky Derby favorite, who is going off this morning at 3-1, to one, has been scratched from today's race, and it will be the lowest amount of horses running in a race in quite some time as only 18 horses are going. So if you have Forte, who was the favorite, you might want to check your books and make some adjustments because he is no longer going to be a part of today's race. Lots to get into today. The NFL draft, I was there. It was awesome. I've been waiting to get what it was like kind of off my chest and then my thoughts on how the Cowboys did, how the Texans did, some surprising moves from other teams that I thought really did a good job. The NBA playoffs in full swing. Of course, the series hadn't started because a home team has not lost yet when it comes to the Denver Phoenix series. We got the Lakers Warriors. That game series has been a ton of fun to this point, um, up and down, back and forth, game three coming up a little bit later tonight, a game you can catch here on San Antonio Sports Star. Also, Knicks and Heat, Jimmy Butler expected to try and go today after missing game two as they got a series split up in New York earlier. That series now going back to Miami. But I want to start things off. It was, it was a weird night, man. I had... Such a lucid and vivid dream. And it involved one of my best friends, and I kind of woke up with a lump in my throat. It was insane. So one of my best friends from high school, James, he um we're getting ready for our river trip. We'd usually try and float the river, and I guess I'm really pumped about getting ready to go float the river on Memorial Weekend. And we're getting ready for this trip, and we're we're at these apartments, kind of getting our coolers and beer and everything ready, and we run to the car, and we're with our friends, Stacey and Becky. It's the exact same crew I went to the draft with. And dreams don't stick with me this heavily, 
but this one did and i almost woke up crying it was insane and i don't know how many people have these kind of dreams but it it shocked me awake almost and i'm getting ready for the river we're getting everything loaded up we go up and it's on the third floor this apartment complex which is weird because i live on a first floor so that doesn't even make a whole lot of sense but we're walking across this deck to get back to the place and all of a sudden like the deck kind of falls off and there's this gap so that you could jump and possibly make it to the next side but at the end i guess support beam had kind of gone away right so when you step on it, it starts to drop down and i make a drop for it jump for it and kind of grab it hang on pull myself up but for James falls three floors all the way to the bottom and breaks his legs and I can see the bone protruding like this is a very very vivid dream and so I'm running into the apartment make a phone call I can't for whatever reason the phones aren't connecting to 911 and I'm trying to get through and I can see a fire station literally across the street so I'm trying to get over there, and all of a sudden, because it's not happening as fast as we think we should, our friend Becky comes up and is messing with me as I'm trying to get on the phone and keeps telling me, hang up and check her messages that she's been messing with me about not, and I I can't even form words. I'm just like crying because my friend's down on the ground and his, his legs are broke, and I'm trying to get to this, and I couldn't even formulate words. I was so distraught. And I have no clue what that means. I know dreams are supposed to mean things. I have zero clue what any of that means, but it was one that just, it stuck with me. And, like, and it woke me up. It forced me out of my sleep awake to where I, I woke up distraught and with a lump in my chest, like I was trying to formulate words still and uh, I kind of shake my head out and realize what's going on. And I'm like, well, that was weird. And kind of forced myself back to sleep and, you know, they can get up, work out, come out to work. And, but it was just one of those things where it was super weird. Like, I don't know how many people have like lucid dreams or how often they have these vivid dreams that they remember in such stunning detail. Like, I didn't even know he was wearing, he was wearing his chief shorts. He had a, a chief's Hawaiian style shirt on like i i remember so many things about this dream where normally i kind of remember it maybe sort of but this one just it hit and i'm trying to figure it out and i don't know what it means so if there are any any body that has kind of you know dream sleep analysis you know throw it up youtube live Call in. I'm the only one here, so I'll I'll get your call. I'll put you on hold. I'll get to you when I can. But it was just, it was insanity. I couldn't even figure it out to where it woke me up in the same state I was almost in my dream at. So it was, whoa. It was just so much to kind of take in and process and try and fall back asleep. And Jonathan C. joining us on our YouTube page says, currently hungover, send the blue Gatorade. Postmates, my man. 
my buddy actually that I had the dream about is on our YouTube live channel. So, and yes, you do live on the third floor, but this was like a deck and it was out the lake and not concrete and in Houston. So I don't know. There's a lot of things that I'm trying to put together about that dream. I'll figure it out later. But welcome into the Saturday morning hangover here on San Antonio Sports Star 941 ESPNSA.com. Some other news that broke over the night. The Houston Astros luck continually not great as Luis Garcia, who went on the IL just days after they had lost another starter the day before, Luis Garcia only goes eight in uh, eight pitches before pulling himself from his start earlier in the week. Found out he needs Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. The Astros dealing with a litany of injuries, especially to their pitching staff. Jose Altuve is still not close to a return yet, as is Michael Brantley. So the defending world champs definitely, definitely suffering early in the season. Though they got the win last night against the Mariners 6-4. to The Rangers lose to the Angels. So the AL West standings are... They're getting tight. <laughs> They're getting really tight. The Rangers and Angels are both tied. The Astros are a game and a half back. So this is going to do, at least through the season, see if the Astros can get some kind of help, maybe make some additions to their pitching staff, or who knows? There's a San Antonio kid in the minors that has pitched really, really well both in spring training and so far this year, named Forrest Whitley, one of their number one overall picks. Maybe we could see him get called up soon. Of course, there's multiple ways you can reach out to us here on the Saturday Morning Hangover. We've got our YouTube channel, San Antonio Sports Star. Subscribe, comment, like, everything you're going to do. You could, of course, call on the Kielbasa Smoke Meats phone lines or text into those phone lines, 210-656-3776. That is 210-656-3776. ESPN. Lots to get into this morning. NBA playoffs in full swing. Of course, the team of the Saturday morning hangover, the Boston Celtics, run through Joel Embiid and the 76ers last night as Joel Embiid got his ceremony for getting the MVP and then promptly gets smacked there as the Celtics go up in that series. It's going to be... A 2-1 lead for the Celtics after a 114-102 win. Denver, also 2-1 series lead. They lost to the Phoenix Suns last night, 121-114. But it took 47 from Devin Booker and 39 from Kevin Durant to do so. So it's going to be a lot from them if they're going to stay in this series. Or... Does that win in Phoenix give them some momentum and kind of put Denver on edge as they were a team that has been wholly, wholly underrated so far? And of course, the Dallas team actually in the playoffs and doing well. Look about it. The Dallas Stars. That's right. AHL hockey talk for you. They get a huge win the other night. 4-1. Getting that series so... Lots to get into, but I want to start with the NFL draft because I was there. I want to explain my thoughts, what it was like up there in Kansas City, my thought process, 
what went on for the Cowboys, the Texans, and other teams in the NFL draft. We're going to get into all that coming up next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. This is Mike Greenberg. Let's talk the biggest stories in sports weekday mornings at 10. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 1250. Welcome back into... Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger, Jack Thompson, Katie Goodman out this morning, but I got you until 11 o'clock. We're good. The pick is in, and Kansas City killed it. Listen, the draft experience is great. I've been to one before. I went to it when it was in Arlington. That was a lot of fun. But Kansas City was on a whole nother level. They absolutely destroyed it. Being at Union Station in that area with everything that was set up, and I didn't even do as much stuff this year as I did the year it was in Dallas, but the vibe, the amount of people, from what I read, over 312,000 people attended the draft that weekend. We were four of them. Me and my friends, we we flew up on Wednesday night. We got there early Saturday. We head out, or Thursday for the first round, we head out. We get there probably 10, 10 10.30-ish. Opens at 11. They actually end up opening it early because the line was getting ridiculous outside of the gates. And we go in. We find a table. We kind of sit down. The beer lines on Thursday were very, very tame. Which, crazy. Food lines were insane. And they had some great food there. Burning nachos, pulled pork sandwiches, like anything you could think of. They had all kinds of stuff there. Ice cream, different things. Like, it was a really, really good setup. And different places. We went to the Bud Light Deck Cabana. Had a slide where you could slide down, order more beers, go back up. It was a ton of fun. But the experience was awesome. It's a convention of fandoms, basically. And not so much like at an NFL game where you're about to play somebody and it's more adversarial. This was a bunch of fans getting together, just having fun and talking shop. I can't tell you how many people in different jerseys, as I was wearing my Texans gear, would come up to me and ask me, Before the draft, what are y'all going to do? What's going to happen? How's it going to play out? D'Amico, great job, great hire, and just wanted to talk shop. And then I ran some Baltimore fans. We talked uh, because I think Lamar had just gotten his deal done. So we were talking about Lamar's deal and just Packers fans and Aaron Rodgers leaving and just having different conversations about different teams that are off seasons, where they're at, where they're headed. It was a ton of fun. Everybody's just very inquisitive about what's going on with each other's teams as you just kind of talk to people in passing. It was a lot of fun. And if you've never been to a draft and you are a draft person, I recommend going. Even if you're not a draft person, I recommend going because there is so much to do and it is, it really is so much fun because Thursday, we got there, we sat down, there's all these signings. Jamal Charles was there signing autographs, Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
um, Priest Holmes, uh, just lots and lots of players. I'm trying to, uh, Trent McDuffie was there as in new players. I believe Chris Jones was there. Like there were a lot of players doing autograph signings, hits, Hall of Famers, people from teams, not from teams, NFL draftees that were going to go in the first round that night. So there's a convention. They have all of these things that you can do, whether, especially for kids, like uh, different obstacle courses, throwing the ball, stuff. Lines were, were long, as expected, especially on day one. But as you get into day two and day three, those lines kind of dissipate, and it's kind of easier to move around. The first day is kind of more about positioning, and you find things out. It was incredibly fun. And as we're leading up to the draft, it was just nerve-wracking. Because as a Texans fan, I didn't know what we were going to do. And they were very, very good on hiding and smoke screening everything they were doing. So on my Instagram, Twitter, different places, I put videos of kind of my reactions to their first pick being CJ Stroud, which was pure elation. Their, the reaction to being on the clock at third, because I didn't know, because you're not watching it on TV, so you're not getting all the information the same way that you would on TV. So you're just kind of... Breaking it down with people around you, like what happened, what's going on, what's happening next, what do you expect next, who's going where, and then all of a sudden you hear that the Texans are on the clock again, and you take a minute to kind of get your wits about you and be like, oh, wow, I guess they're making this trade for Will Anderson because they reportedly love him. They did, and the draft is done for me at that point, so I just kind of get to relax and take the rest of it in. After the third pick, after my nerves kind of calmed back down. But man, watching it unfold was incredibly fun. And actually, general manager Nick Casario was on Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610 in Houston yesterday. And he talked about the inner workings of making a trade in the NFL draft. And I didn't know there was so much that went into making a trade. And keep in mind, Nick Casario only stayed and picked at one spot. That was two. Everything else was a trade, and you have less time between the first to the second and third, and then from four through seven. Like the, the time on the clock gets less and less and less. So the fact that he did this eight times and that there were 43 trades, a record that weekend, was just kind of crazy when you hear what you have to go through to make a trade. The first round, you can't turn your pick in until there's five minutes on the clock. So even at two, we're sitting there and saying, all right, we think we have, we knew we were going to pick at two, but we had to wait five minutes. So there's really nothing we can do about it because the league tells us, well, you got to wait five minutes until you turn the pick in because TVs usually ends up being behind by about 56 picks. So they don't want the picks turned in and then the information gets out. So made the pick at two. And then as soon as we turn the pick in, as soon as they announce it, then the, the third pick is on the clock. So in that case, Arizona was on the clock. So at that time when Arizona was on the clock, Monty reached out and said, hey, are you guys in? He said, look, we're talking about it. Where are you at? And Monty and I had put some general parameters in place going into the draft. Um, we had discussions Thursday afternoon. So we kind of had some general parameters. And 
we were actually, you know, I'd say some teams are inclined to maybe, well, would you do it before the draft? Some teams want to wait till they're on the clock. So they were on the clock. They called. We had the parameters in place. We kind of went back and forth on some of the compensation. And we've talked about this previously about how trades work, the actual mechanics of it. So it's Houston to Arizona. Are we agreeing on the terms? Both teams have to call the league. And then the league has to make sure the terms match up. So you're really not on the clock until the, the league gives you the green light. So we were on the phone. The clock, the shot clock's running down here while we're on the phone with the league. And then they finally said, all right, you guys are on the clock with the buck 30 or whatever it was. So while we were doing that, you know, we uh, all the picks are submitted electronically. So we had to make sure that we had it teed up. So as soon as we're on the clock, we could hit send. And then it was hang the phone up with the league, get the player on the phone. So all that happened, I would say, fairly quickly. So I think I, I can't remember exactly where we ended up, but it was close to a minute or under a minute where we actually announced the pick. So, um, you know, you just want to be organized. You want to be thoughtful. And, you know, you just try to get in on the shot clock. You don't want to skip your turn and let somebody else jump in there. There's a lot that goes into a draft day trade and much more than even I realized. And I think I know quite a bit about the draft because I follow it very closely, but the, the inner workings of making a draft day trade. So the importance of kind of having parameters in place to even make a trade to get up to what was it? Three with the Arizona Cardinals. Like that thing was predetermined almost. And it makes sense why you go CJ Stroud too at that point is because if you take Will Anderson first in that situation, then there's more of a bidding war at three because it's a quarterback. And everybody likes to make a lot about the price that they paid to move up. They gave up their 12th pick this year, their own first next year, which tells me they think they're going to be a lot better than they actually are. Take that for what it's worth, but if they're giving up their own pick instead of Cleveland's to move up, and maybe that's what it took to seal the deal, they think that highly of Will Anderson. They trade away the second round pick, second uh, in the second round, 33rd overall, and a third next year as well. So not quite quarterback price, because if it was CJ, probably having to move three picks, kind of the way Carolina did, or other teams in the past that we've seen do that, like the San Francisco 49ers, it probably costs a lot more if there's CJ Stroud sitting there at three instead of Will Anderson. That being said, it was fun, and then I'm able to take it in. I'm paying attention. The Eagles trade up in front of Chicago to select Jalen Carter and fills a huge need, especially after B. John Robinson goes the pick before at 8 to Atlanta. And Atlanta's surprisingly made a lot of additions. They could be a little bit better than we think coming up. Um Watching the second round as, or the first round kind of unfold. Buffalo trading up in front of Dallas to select Dalton Kincaid. I kind of feel like they knew that Dallas wanted a tight end, and Dallas kind of forcing a Luke Schoonmaker in the second round almost kind of alludes to that fact, I think. So while Mozzie Smith feels like a swerve on their part, because Buffalo jumped them to make sure that they got the guy that they thought they may have been targeting from Dallas. I do think that Mozzie Smith was a great pick. You're talking about a defense that 
was very, very good last year that can now be potentially even better because of what Mozzie Smith's role will be as kind of that run-stuffing defensive tackle that can also get, garner a little bit of pressure. So I think Mozzie Smith was a great pickup by the Dallas Cowboys. The rest of their draft, not quite as impressed with as I was with, with uh, Mozzie Smith, but time will tell. And I do know one thing, outside of about two picks that in the first round over the last 10, 15 years, the Cowboys killed it with their first round pick. So I would expect Mozzie Smith to at least be one of those guys that they has an almost immediate impact for this team. The second and third round was a lot of fun too. We got closer because we were back up on the lawn closer to the VFW Memorial that they have there. And that, while it was fun and you could see it, and we went to the Fallout Boy concert after the draft, that was a ton of fun. The next night, it was a lot easier to kind of maneuver around the venue. You got down to that lower level, down on the street, kind of where the sets were for NFL Live and NFL Network and ESPN and all the the TV stations kind of had that thing that faced the draft uh, stage behind them as they were sitting. And that was a a very fun experience being down close. Also in the first round, Loki, great pickup by the Kansas City Chiefs, but also kind of a, a, a nice, and I like that they've kind of been doing these like other people announcing picks even in the first round. They had that Jets kid come out that kind of stole the show on TV, I guess, but oh, when we heard him making the pick, I'm like, who is this kid? What's he doing? But he had a swag about him up on stage, and I, I was about it. <laughs> I really liked it. But with the Kansas City draft, the cool thing about that is not only did they select what I think is, I don't say it's a position of need so much as strengthening a strength on the defensive line because they got Chris Jones. They uh, they drafted very well last year on the defensive line. And I think that they've got the pieces in place, and, and we saw it throughout the year. Their defense was a lot better than people gave them credit for, right? And with that, I don't think they were given the due respect that that defense, you know, kind of shown throughout the year. And so I expected them to address either wide receiver or defensive line. I thought those were both positions where they could, and they did in the first two rounds. They selected the Kansas State defensive end, and it was really cool because they announced it, and the crowd went nuts. And I know Kansas State isn't in Kansas City because Kansas City is in Missouri, so it's the weird dynamic of that. But there were a ton of Chiefs fans that were also Kansas State fans in that area and to see him get picked in the first round and that place go nuts for what is kind of like a local kid was a lot of fun. And then the second round, they take Rasheed Rice, the wide receiver out of LSU who or SMU, who they have high grades for. And I'll remind you that the Kansas City Chiefs, their ownership group, 
Lamar Hunt or uh, Hunt and Gracie and the, that whole family goes to or went to LSU or SMU. It's like a Michael Minn is here thinking about the Tigers, uh, the SMU Mustangs. So there's a lot there. Shane Bouchelle, their backup quarterback, also former Longhorn that transferred to SMU. So there are some SMU ties with the Kansas City Chiefs. But all in all, I would say the NFL draft is such a great experience and the NFL has really done a, a really good job in turning that into an event, like a full-on event. So if you have the chance, go. I, I think I'm going to try and go to Detroit next year. Never been to Detroit. Think it'll be fun. Figure it out the year after that. Supposedly, it could end up in Green Bay, which would be mwah, kind of Mecca type stuff as in, in terms of like the birthplace of the NFL and Vince Lombardi. I mean, it, I think that would kind of be a bucket list thing is seeing Green Bay, seeing Lambeau Field, just being in that area. But all in all, draft, fantastic. If you have a chance, go. It's a lot of fun, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. And it gives you a chance to kind of check out cities maybe you haven't. Like, I had barbecue in Kansas City. We had a lot of fun, and it's worth it. It is definitely worth the venture because it's just a really fun experience, and there's a lot of of great things and the ability to meet or interact with different fan bases in kind of a different way than you normally would at a football game. Jack Thompson, Katie Goodman, both out today. James Pledger, Ryan Solo with you on this Saturday morning. Coming up next, more of the Saturday morning hangover as I take a look at the Dallas Cowboys draft and their free agency and kind of where they are as they head into the rest of the NFC and the position they kind of addressed, but dim really, and did that leave the door open for a former Cowboy to return? That's all coming up next, right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. This is Michael Jimenez, and you're listening to 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. Of course, you can always reach out via our YouTube live feed, San Antonio Sports Star. Subscribe, like, all that fun stuff. Or on our Kielbasa Smoke Meets phone line, 656-ESPN, 656-3776. You can call or text that number, and we will get it. Dallas Cowboys draft. What are your overall thoughts? Like I said, I love the Mozzie Smith pick. I think it's an A pick for him. It was fantastic. Luke Shoemaker, I'm a little bit lower on. I think it's a C at best. I just... I look at pro football focus. The guy only ran an average of 2.15 yards per route from the line of scrimmage. And after that, he had a contested catch rate of just 25%. I get it. There's upside. There's a lot to work with. You hope you can work some of those things out. 
He's a great blocker. And maybe that's what they were looking, a blocking tight end. But if that's the case, Darnell Washington, Georgia tight end. He is basically a sixth offensive lineman. The guy just moved the, sh- the sled differently at the combine. And when you watched him at Georgia, he, he was a difference maker on the line. I don't get the shoemaker pick. I just didn't. And the fact that Osiris Torrance was still available at that point, you could have gotten him as well. I just saw better value on the board at that point. But the Cowboys graded this differently, and they had apparently a very, very high grade on Luke Shoemaker. So I could be extremely wrong in what I've seen from him. DeMarvian Overshone in the third round I thought was a great pick because I'm not calling him Micah Parsons, but he has Micah traits. He is extremely athletic and versatile. You can use him in a bunch of different ways. And if Micah is truly putting on weight, like he says, to get up to around 255, to be a constant edge rusher that can hold up against the run, which, good. I think it, I think that's a preeminent move by him in terms of contract negotiations and outside linebacker versus defensive end money. And if you're going to get slapped with the franchise tag, it is cheaper to tag a linebacker than it is a defensive end. And likely, that's a preemptive strike on his move to be like, look, I'm an edge rusher, I'm playing edge, I'm beefing up to play more edge, this is what I'm going to be. A lot like we saw with Jimmy Graham, the tight end versus wide receiver debate. And good on him. And I think he's more of an edge anyway, so get paid like it. You're going to be probably the, when all's said and done, the highest paid defensive player in the NFL when it's your turn to get paid. So go get your money. But what you lose is kind of the versatility that you have with Micah Parsons if he's going to be playing that full-time edge. DeMarvion Overshone gives you the ability to not lose as much of that versatility as you would have because of the things that he can do and the athletic profile that he has. I think DeMarvion Overshone was a great pick and a great value in the third round for the Dallas Cowboys. Viami Fehoko, the edge out of San Jose State. People are they're talking about bulking him up and kicking him inside a little more. He was one of the highest graded run defenders in the 90th percentile. The Cowboys are putting an emphasis on run defense in this draft. You, you see it with Fehoko, Mozzie Smith, running the football, Luke Schumacher. Like they, they have made this a point that we are not going to be run on the way we were early last year, which is a great thing because if you can't pass on them and you can't run on them, things get really hard. And they remember, they used a fifth-round pick to go and get Stephon Gilmore, who is going to be opposite Trayvon Diggs. And Stephon Gilmore played in the 92nd percentile last year when it came to coverage. People think he fell off a little bit. He was hurt his final year in New England and still recovering after he was traded to Carolina. But he was more of himself in Indianapolis last year. We just didn't recognize it because Indianapolis was terrible because quarterback play. You keep bringing in 40-year-old quarterbacks, you're getting 40-year-old quarterback play, 
they're starting to fall off the cliff. And for some, like Matt Ryan, it was a lot more obvious than others, Philip Rivers, but there's still a law of diminishing returns when it comes to that. So I think Gilmore and Diggs are two of the best corners, is one of the best corner tandems in the NFL right now. They're going to be extremely tough to throw the ball on. So if they're hard to run the ball on, they're going to be tough to pass the ball on, especially, you know, they they re-signed Cedric Wilson. They've uh, got Hooker locked up. They've got uh, Javon Kurse back there in the secondary as well at safety. Like, they have a really, really good secondary. And y'all saw from Deron Bland last year, he can probably take over that slot role from Anthony Brown. So... They are in a really, really, really good spot. And they did address the secondary as well late, late, late in the draft with Eric Scott Jr. in the sixth round, the cornerback out of uh, Southern Miss. They also addressed the offensive line finally in the fifth round in North Carolina tackle Asim Richards. And we're seeing the same thing over and over with the Cowboys. Offensive linemen, poor, poor pass grade, or poor run blocking grade, better pass blocking grade for Seam Richards, but versatility. He can play inside, he can play outside. There is some position flexibility there. The question's going to be for the Cowboys when all is said and done. In their seventh round pick, they finally go and get a wide receiver. But remember, they traded a, a fifth round pick for Brandon Cook, so they kind of addressed that in the draft too, in a way. So you've got Brandon Cooks, you've got Michael Gallup, you've got CeeDee Lamb, you've got a really nice trio of receivers there. Then they take in the seventh round Patrick Walker, who was, according to, uh, or Jalen Brooks, excuse me, but according to Patrick Walker, he was garnering a lot of attentions, and people thought that there was going to be a bidding war for this guy as an undrafted free agent. So the Cowboys took him, in the seventh round to make sure that they didn't lose out on a bidding war for this receiver. And I'm okay with that. You see something out of this South Carolina kid, go get him. The one thing they took is Deuce Vaughn. And it was kind of the feel-good story of the draft. The Cowboys scout is his father, Chris Vaughn. You saw it where they gave the card to him to kind of turn in and announced the pick, and he calls his son, and is like, hey, you want to come to work with me tomorrow? Like, really heart heartfelt moment, touching, great stuff. Smaller back. I don't know his fit, unless they're truly sold on Malik Davis, but what they showed with Malik Davis last year is they aren't sold on him. Otherwise, when Tony Pollard went down in that, NFC champion, uh, NFC divisional round game against San Francisco with a broken leg, then you wouldn't have just given the entire workload to Zeke Elliott the way you did. So while there's flashes of things that you really like to see, I think he hits the hole really hard and aggressively. I do think Zeke Elliott has a place on this team. I do. Now, it's for the vet minimum is not anywhere close to what he was making last year. But I do think he has a place on this team. He has a role that you can carve out for him as a goal line slash pass protecting third down back. And he can perform in that role. 
He already said he wants his number 15 when he got released anyway. 21 is now Stephon Gilmore's number, so you can't have that one. Sell a whole bunch of 15 jerseys now. Still jumping in the kettle after touchdowns. There's the marketing aspect, but there's also the football aspect. They does provide a value that other backs on this roster don't pr- provide. I'm just saying there there is an opportunity for him to return that I think if used in the correct way and not the way they tried to utilize him in the justification of his contract way last year and the previous years, then Zeke's got a perfect home on the Cowboys. If you're still trying to give him 10 to 15 touches a game, then he shouldn't have a place on the Cowboys. I'm James Pledger. Jack Thompson, Katie Goodman are out today. When we come back, though, the NBA playoffs, man, things are starting to heat up a little bit, or our team's starting to run away with things. I think in the East, there's a clear favorite. In the West, it's a little bit muddier. We'll discuss next here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. Listen to 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star on your Amazon or Google smart speaker and just say, Alexa, play ESPN Radio on San Antonio Sports Star. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger. Jack and Katie are off this week, so... Rhyme with me solo for the next hour and five, six minutes. But what say you, Joshua Jimenez? Cowboys drafted a hard-hitting defense. Mozzie and Overshone are huge upgrades to that. Best players available at the biggest needs. Darius Bieber says he agrees he's not sold on Deuce Vaughn either when he faced the only good defense in the Big 12, close Iowa State. He got a whopping 23 yards on the ground that entire game, and I still think Zeke comes back. Look, Iowa State, I loved the 15th overall pick uh, from Iowa State, Will McDonald. I thought he was utilized differently at Iowa State, kind of as a three-line rush. So he can not only set the edge and hold up against the run, he can get to the quarterback when needed. And I think when used properly, and I think Robert Sala will up in New York, I think he could be a very impactful player. I thought he might have slid to the end of the first round, beginning of the second, where teams like Kansas City, Houston, had they still had their pick at 33 overall, would have had a shot at him, if they, especially if Houston had foregone defense early in the draft and went like maybe Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. But they didn't, so uh, I thought that was a, a huge huge underrated move in the draft because I have very, very high thoughts on Will McDonald. The NBA playoffs, though, man, starting to get going. The Suns finally get into the series after falling into a 2-0 hole against the Denver uh, Nuggets. They get a win last night, 121-114, 47 points from Book, and another 39 from Kevin Durant. And... While that was a very, very impressive performance by them, I find it unsustainable in a way. Because if you need 47 and 39 from your two best players with no Chris Paul and really not a whole lot else on that team in terms of just scoring options 
outside of those two, it's going to be a tough road because Denver made a run late in that game. And I thought they were going to take it for a while. Um, Joker is playing like an MVP. And I think we've all seen that finally, finally recovered from their injuries. Michael Porter Jr. is an absolute stud. Michael Porter Jr. is extremely good. And that pocket pass, that bounce pass between players from Jokic to Porter, who had the yam over Durant, was freaking crazy. And the fact that Jamal Murray is finally recovered from that knee injury, really proving that he could and should be one of the next superstars in the league. He had 32 points last night. Joker had 30. You had Porter with 21. Aaron Gordon didn't have as good a game, only 3 of 13 from the field. But, man, I really think that they they are in trouble, Phoenix. And they went all in on getting Kevin Durant. And we saw what happened with Coach Bud up in Milwaukee, team that fell short of expectations. At least he even has a title to his name. But after two straight years of early exits and disappointments, despite injuries to two of their best players in each of those years, Giannis this year, Chris Middleton last year, didn't save Coach Bud. Monty Williams could be in trouble despite being the coach of the year last year. So Monty Williams... The Suns need to come up with something. And if they don't, you could be in trouble. On the other side, the Celtics, I think, are clearly far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference that's left with Milwaukee's exit. And I expect them to be in the finals for a second straight year. By the way, Boston Celtics, of course, those longtime listeners to the Saturday Morning Hangover know RJ and I adopted that as the team of the Saturday Morning Hangover, and they look like they're poised to end up in the finals. It's who they'll play, because I think that's a tougher decision than out in the East, because I think Denver is a lot better than people were giving them credit for, and they're playing at that level right now. And Golden State... I told you when going in as a sixth seed, championship pedigree, they know where that switch is. They can turn it on after smoking the Lakers last night. They got a game today, a game you can actually catch over on our sister station, ESPN San Antonio, 1250 on the AM dial. You can catch Lakers Warriors today. That series tied at one going back to LA. But if Steph, who had a mediocre game by his standards, Thompson, Poole, Wiggins, they're all going. That team plays at a pace that the Lakers cannot keep up with. The Lakers can win if they can ugly up the game, keep it dirty, get Anthony Davis playing down low, using his size to his advantage, but he doesn't do that all the time. And that's an issue, and that's where the Lakers will get hurt because if Golden State starts running like they did yesterday, they're going to run L.A. out of the gym because they're not equipped to play at that pace the way that Golden State is. I'm James Pledger. No Jack Thompson or Katie Goodman this morning. Coming up next, though, I want to talk about my Houston Texans. I thought they killed it at the draft. 
I feel really good about the future of this team, and I want to explain why. Coming up next, right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, the Saturday Morning Hangover. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover, hour number two. Well, I didn't get into my sports center update there. The Kentucky Derby favorite. If you had the favorite three to one forte, you might want to make some changes because he is out of the race, scratched due to a bruised foot, and will not run in the run for the roses today. I'm James Pledger, no Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman today, but I'm gonna take you for the next hour all the way up to the top. Get you ready for this sporting weekend, including the NBA games today and the playoffs and more. Lamar Jackson has a brand new contract. We know the details finally, but did he prove everyone wrong? Joshua Jimenez on our YouTube live feed says, oh yeah, more Texans talk. Let's go Texans. Look, I said this when it happened on night one of the draft when I was there. The drafting of C.J. Stroud And then the immediate shock of the turnaround and picking third overall and getting Will Anderson. It did something that Texans fans hadn't had since 24-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs all those years ago. Four, five, five years ago. From there, it's been a downward spiral for Houston. Jack Eastry was in the building at that point. They trade away their best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins over who knows what. It wasn't about his play. This was about behind-the-scenes things. There were there was reports of the Bill and Jack didn't like him hanging around with his quote-unquote baby mamas or whatever it was that the report said. And they traded him, and this was the problem with having a head coach who is hot-headed and reactionary rather than forward-thinking. He didn't like DeAndre Hopkins. He wanted to get rid of him. Same thing with Jadeveon Clowney. Wanted to move him for whatever he could get. You end up settling for less than the value of the actual player because it is more important for you to prove a point and move on. than like He wanted to cut Ryan Mallett on the tarmac before a game and go into that game with just one quarterback. Like He was too hot-headed to handle the duties of both general manager and head coach. He he did not see the full picture. He only thought in the moment, and that was the issue. And you saw it during the COVID draft when he got very upset. Uh, I believe the Texans took Jonathan Grenard in the third round because time was running out, the pick was turned in, and you hear him yell into the camera, that's on you, Jack. That pick's on you. That's a guy that will hold things over your head if they don't work out moving forward and that's not really a good move or look for somebody in those kinds of positions you want to be more taking in of all the information this worked this didn't but you don't want to burn bridges or relationships and hold grudges and because it feels like that was something that would come back at a later time and be like you remember that pick you remember that pick you screwed that up so we're going this way like he's gonna take he's gonna keep records and score and use it against you later on. He did it with DeAndre Hopkins, where you trade him for the bloated contract of David Johnson and a second-round pick. He gave that second-round pick up to get Brandon Cooks. Um, he took players that he had no clue in how to develop because he's not a developer of talent. He's a guy that wanted ready-made talent. 
and it set the Texans back. And Nick Casario had to come in and basically tear the thing down to the studs. And he did. You saw it. He tore it all the way down. Deshaun Watson was the focal piece of the, of getting back to where they were. And now that they're in a place where they've got the head coach they want. And you can tell. If you've seen Nick Casario interviews before this year, he's not been fantastic since D'Amico Ryans was hired. You have seen him laughing. You have seen him joking. You have seen him smiling in interviews. There is a different aura around him. There is a different aura around the entire organization. And it's felt. You can feel it because mainstream media is talking about it. You can feel it within the program. You can feel it through the fan bases. Like, so much has changed. And there was this, oh no, here we go again thought when you heard the smoke screens of... They are not in love with any of these quarterbacks. They missed out on Bryce Young. That was the guy that they really wanted. And as a fan, and that's kind of where the video, you can check it out on both my YouTube or my Instagrams. I am Pledger. There is reactionary video of me reacting because you don't have the information that you have on TV. You're not getting everything that they're talking about. You're just sitting and waiting. And I'm sitting and waiting as the Texans are on the clock and my hands are on my knees and I'm hunched over. And while I know Will Anderson is a great player and the best defensive player, it is an argument between him and Jalen Carter on who the best player, the number one player on their on a board was. And for the Texans, supposedly Will Anderson was the number one player on their board. There was this feeling because I've seen it. I've seen it with Mario Williams. I've seen it with Jadevian Kleine. And you can say what you want about any of those picks. They were right. They were right not to select Reggie Bush or, or Vince Young. They were right to not select Blake Bortles. They were right to pass on quarterbacks when they did. The only thing you could argue is maybe they should have gone Khalil Mack, who was a better scheme fit over Jadevian Kleine, but that's uh, revisionist history in a different way. But they were right for the most part in the picks that they made when they took those players number one overall. So I'm bracing myself for the inevitable Texans select at number two overall, Will Anderson. Because i gotten so hyped and I knew there were two quarterbacks, especially that I liked more than any other in this draft class. That was C.J. Stride and Bryce Young. I liked Bryce Young a little bit more. But when you hear... Most accurate passer. You go back and watch the tape. You see where his ball placement. And then you saw the Georgia game where he actually used the mobility that you hadn't seen him use. And that was kind of the question about him. And that's the question moving forward is, will he continue to do that? Or was he told not to do that while he was at Ohio State? Or did he choose not to do that at Ohio State? But I knew there were two. My favorite was off the board, but there was a there was a close 1B behind him, and that was C.J. Stroud. But I'm preparing myself for the inevitable Texans select Will Anderson. And I hear that it's C.J. Stroud, and there is an eruption of joy, and I think it was felt across all of Texans' fan base when they took the quarterback at number two overall, meaning... They believed in this guy because I do not believe Nick Casario would not take a guy that he doesn't believe in. And I do believe D'Amico Ryans has a huge say in, in the decision there. And 
there was just this relief that washes over you after the initial excitement. And as that relief kind of washes over you, you hear that they're back on the clock again. And I'm like, oh, you're going to get both. You're going to get the number one player that they have rated on their board and what a lot of people believe is the best defensive player in this draft class who just, in his two years at Alabama, led the nation in pressures, QB pressures, sacks, like, and you don't hear Nick Saban brag about a lot of guys. He bragged very, very, very much about Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And Will Anderson is now going to be a leader on that team. You could tell. You could tell by the way that Coach Saban talks about him. And I think the same about C.J. Stroud. I think he is more of a leader than people believe because he's so quiet and reserved. But you see more of his personality come out in these recent interviews that he's done. And you hear about some of the things that he's gone through. His dad going to jail, not being a top quarterback prospect, kind of forcing his way into the conversation, winning an Elite 11 competition that led him to being scouted and recruited by Ohio State and other big programs finally after not getting a whole lot of recognition or being kind of on the radar when it came to being recruited. Galvanizing that locker room, the things that he's gone through in his own personal life, um, there are a lot of things where it's like, this dude is mature beyond his years. And... I feel much, much better even than I did before. And I think this Kyle Shanahan-style offense that Bobby Sloak comes from, the new offensive coordinator, I think that that's going to be a very, very big influence and help because what the Shanahan offense does, uh, Kubiak, these is routes and concepts that are made it is run heavily off of a zone action scheme and the play action plays very key in it to where everything looks the same the run looks like a pass a pass looks like a run and it is schemed and designed to where people run free and open and you've seen that in san francisco you saw it in houston before with gary kubiak like that zone system and you've got a runner who is a one-cut runner damian pierce who runs with a Authority. And then you've got a third down back uh, that they, they added in Devin Singletary who can do both. He can run and he can catch the ball out of the backfield extremely well. And there's a guy that they took as an undrafted free agent. And I watch him and he kind of reminds me of Arian Foster just in his, he plants his foot and gets up the field really fast. His name's Xavier Valade out of Arizona State. Really, really like this kid. I think there's something there. We'll see as time goes on. Just remember you hear her first. Um, and Tank Dell in the third. Like, they brought in a lot of players. I'm looking at this Texans roster, and then you, on top of that, what they did in free agency. I see 11 to 13 new starters from last year's team. That is half of both sides of the ball, at least in an overturn of the roster, and I'll go through some of them. C.J. Stroud, quarterback. Likely day one starter. Will Anderson, likely day one starter as an edge rusher. Drew Scruggs, who they traded up for back into the second round to get the center, and he plays position flex guard and center. And then you've got Jarrett Patterson. Remember, they drafted Kenyon Green last year. So you're going to have a new center, likely. So that's three. 
Dalton Schultz, who they got from the Cowboys in free agency, that's four. Shaq Mason, who they traded from the Bucks for, who did not allow a sack last season on Tom Brady, that's five. Robert Woods, the receiver, who has been in the McVay-Shanahan-style offense before, that's six. John Mechie, the second-round pick last year out of Alabama, that's seven. Sheldon Rankins, a defensive tackle from the Jets and Saints, that's eight. Jimmy Ward, the safety who played with D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco. That's nine. Hassan Ridgeway, defensive tackle that played in San Francisco under D'Amico Ryans. That's ten. Denzel Perryman and Corey Littleton as linebackers that they brought in in free agency. That's 11, 12, 13. There could be so many more. And then you've got Case Keenum, who they added to back up likely and help teach C.J. Stroud and Davis Mills, who they still, I think only one person has mentioned their name, his name once in all the interviews that they've done. So I don't know what that says about the future of him. The Houston wide receiver, Tank Dell, who was tops in the nations in receptions, receiving yards. He was up there in touchdowns. He's a punt returner. He is a dynamic weapon that they can use in a multitude of ways. They got the captain of that Alabama defense, a middle linebacker, Henry Tuotuo, who, D'Amico Ryans, look what he did with Fred Warner. A third rounder that, or fourth rounder that he saw promise in. He got him and groomed him, and Fred Warner is now seen as one of the best linebackers in all the NFL. Henry Tuotuo has instincts. He moves. There, There's talk about his ability to shed blocks. I think D'Amico can teach that to him. And I was talking about with Bill O'Brien. With Bill O'Brien, it always felt like Patriot South. Patriot South. Patriot South. And when Nick Casario came came aboard and Jack Easterby, it felt like kind of just this onslaught. Of, we're trying to replicate the Patriot way because that you can't replicate the Patriot way because the Patriot way was Tom Brady, and we've seen that since Tom Brady's left. And there was this fear of bringing in D'Amico Ryans, and now you've got uh, Jimmy Ward and Hassan Ridgeway and a couple of players from that style, and uh, Bobby Slowick and Corey Undlin, who will be the passing game coordinator, and guys that came with him from San Francisco. Like, are they going to try and recreate San Francisco? Are we going to be, you know, Bay Area South or, you know, Gulf Coast Bay Area or whatever they want to call it? And I found it interesting the other day. Uh, new acquired safety who I just mentioned, Jimmy Ward, met with the media and he was asked about, you know, recreating the San Francisco 49er way and bringing that to Houston and creating that kind of culture. And his answer really, really helped make me feel a lot better. We got to find our own culture. You know what I'm saying? We got to create our own identity. Uh, we're not we're not San Fran, we're, we're Houston. So that's who that's who we gonna be. I like hearing that because you can replicate certain things in terms of taking pieces of things, but when you try to mimic something in its entirely in its entirety, you can't do it the exact same way it was done. It's just unsustainable. You can't. And so Hearing that we got to find our own identity, we got to create our own culture, we got to make Houston, Houston, not San Francisco, not New England, not all of these other teams. You take things from good organizations and you try and implement them and create your own identity. 
I like that. I really like that. And I think that's true in all aspects of life, business, everything. You're not trying to recreate Google. You're trying to take pieces of Google, put your own spin on it and create something new. Maybe take something from Google, maybe take something from Apple. Maybe take something from the San Francisco 49ers or Chase or uh, other successful organizations. And you hear Nick Casario talk about um, the Silicon Valley mindset and stuff in a lot of his uh, press conferences. So he looks outside of just football for other influences in terms of running a successful corporation, which, to be fair, the NFL, the Texans, Cowboys, they're all corporations. They're all their own individual business-making ventures, and they're trying to do now what they feel to be successful, and I just really like hearing that from Jimmy Ward. We'll have more from him later in the show in the Dallas Cowboys, but I want to get more back into the NBA playoffs as things are moving forward. We have the matchups in the second round. A lot of teams are this much closer to the conference finals who has the best shot of ending up in those finals against one another, though? I'll break it down next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. And, of course, you can always watch us on YouTube. This is Mike Greenberg, and you're home for the Dallas Cowboys. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN 94.1 FM, and AM 1250. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger. No Jack Thompson, no Kitty Goodman today. I'm going to take you to the top of the hour, though. Get you ready for your sporting weekend. Remember, the betting favorite, Forte, out of the Kentucky Derby. So make your bets accordingly. Uh, finishing up our conversation, Joshua Jimenez says, if you're not sold on CJ, just watch some of his interviews after the draft that says, Texan social media has put out. Guy's hilarious. Huge fan of him now. And the, the offensive line with the additions of Juice Scruggs and Jarrett Patterson, who, by the way, in three years didn't allow a sack at Notre Dame. Just saying. Um, could be the best it's been since 2012. So Tank Dell's going to be a huge addition to the offense. And Mechie, ready. So... There's a lot going on in Houston, and the one thing that the draft and what it did and what D'Amico has done and the moves this offseason and the 11 to 13 new starters on both sides of the ball that I have mentioned, it gives you hope. For, for a Texans fan, for the first time in five years since 24 nothing in Kansas City when they ran out of fireworks, after rattling off 40-something unanswered points, you have hope. And as a fan base, that's what you want. And for at least two to three years, you kind of tried to, like, maybe, kind of, but then when Deshaun wanted out and Cully was hired and you saw the roster torn down to nothing and then Lovey Smith was hired, like, you lost all hope. All, all hope. Darius Beaver says, it's crazy to think that the current Texans roster has more potential than the Cowboys. Potential is the key word there. Because you look at Derek Stingley, drafted third overall. At his best at LSU, we saw a shutdown corner. 
The other side, they have a really good corner in Steven Nelson, you, Jimmy Ward, and Jalen Petrie, who really showed well in, uh, out of Baylor as a safety. Now you've got Will Anderson up front. You added Sheldon Rankins. You get a Dalton Schultz. You have C.J. Straub with potential there to possibly be a top-end quarterback. There's hope. And that hasn't been the case when it comes to the Houston Texans for a long time. Um, as far as the Cowboys, there's hope there too. There's I don't know what the potential is because the hope and the potential with the Texans, you have C.J. Stroud who you hope and pray that he can be this thing. And I hope nobody in my dynasty league is listening. But if you are, just forget what I'm about to say. I'm going all in. like Because of this hope that has been re-inspired in me. I want to buy into that hope. And by buying into it, I want to try and move up in my draft. I want to try and get C.J. Stroud. I want to try and make a trade for John Mechie. Like, I want to embrace the the good vibes that are coming out of Houston. And for the Cowboys, you're the second best team in the FC, third best team in the FC, one of the top three teams in the NFC. Now, the other two have had your number. The Eagles... We're in the Super Bowl last year, and they've won a Super Bowl in the last five years as well. So you have that in your own division that you're dealing with. And below that, you have the San Francisco 49ers, who have also been to a Super Bowl, multiple NFC title games, and have had your number the last two years in the playoffs. But. You've rectified certain things. You've gotten the the additional weapon for Dak with Brandon Cooks. You've um, got Tony Pollard, and he's he's going to be the guy because there's nobody behind him. And you can keep bringing up that Ronald Jones signed this offseat. Ronald Jones ain't making this roster, I don't believe. Uh, I saw him in Kansas City. I saw him late in his career in Tampa. That's going to be a guy that's going to get cut in camp, in my opinion. I uh, but Tony Pollard's going to be your guy. Hope he doesn't get hurt. Hope he returns to full health. But Tony Par- Pollard is finally going to get all the touches that we were mad that Zeke Elliott was taking away from him. Uh, Dak Prescott, he is what he is. He's a top ten quarterback, I believe. But I, I think we know what he is at this point. He's not getting a whole lot better. Now, if he can cut down on those league-leading interceptions despite missing five, six games, cool. And that will be better for the team. And maybe if you're running the ball, maybe if you're stopping the run and your defense is getting you these extra possessions, there's less chances of you turning the ball over if you're leaning more heavily on the run with Schumacher or Shoemaker. Um, the, you hope. But the hope in Houston and the potential in Houston, it feels greater due to the unknown factor of it. Because you've got these pieces that project to be one thing. With the Cowboys, you kind of know what the pieces are already. And the pieces, you know, Micah's, we know what Micah is. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. We know what Trayvon is now. Trayvon's one of the best corners in the league. Two years ago, I was less high on him because despite his 11 interceptions, he got burned a lot. 
Last year, he cleaned that up. And I said he could have half the interceptions. If he gives up half the yardages and half the touchdowns, I feel much better about Trayvon Diggs. He did that last year. I feel much better about Trayvon Diggs as a shutdown corner. He is far and away one of the better corners. You added a Stephon Gilmore on the other side. You have a Mozzie Smith who can be a run-stopping defensive tackle. Maybe he can give you a little bit of push up the middle as well and get some pressure in the quarterbacks. But the defense is kind of it. It is what it is. It's gotten better. It's much better, I think. But it's all those players are who they are. There's no potential with those players. They're all really good players, and we know exactly what they are. It's a lot like the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. We know what they are. They're really good football teams. The Dallas Cowboys are a really good football team. But potential, that belongs to the Houston Texans because it's all untapped. It's unknown. It could be something greater than what it is right now. With Dak Prescott, seven, nine years, seven years in the league, you know what he is. He's really good. Can he take the step forward to be even greater than he is? It's not unheard of for a quarterback to take another step this late in his career. Look at look at Geno Smith last year. Speaking of a team that killed it in the draft, Seattle Seahawks had a fantastic draft. That team, watch out, San Francisco. <laughs> Seattle may be good. Detroit, too. I really like Jameer Gibbs. I thought he was going to be a first-round pick anyway. I did not see Bijan going as high as he did, even though I thought he should. So kudos for Atlanta. I also did not see Jameer. I thought he'd be probably the back end of the first round. Moving up to take him at 12. Bold move by Detroit, but bravo. You saw your guy, you went and got him. The Eagles had a fantastic draft too. The Eagles adding Jalen Carter, who is one of, if not the best defensive prospect in the game. There are questions about his character and his motor. But on the field, turn on the tape, dude's a game record. You turn around and get Nolan Smith, his teammate, who is a fantastic edge rusher with a ton of potential. You get Eli Ricks. Like, you get Sneaky, the uh, offensive lineman, so they're they're rectifying their lines, both sides of the line. Eagles do a great job of solidifying their offensive and defensive lines over and over and over again. And then you've got Hurts, got A.J. Brown, got Devontae Smith. Like, they've... They, sh- You thought they might have lost some things last year in free agency? And they got Eli Ricks, too, the Alabama corner. Like They've done a very good job for themselves in filling the holes that they lost in free agency through the draft with some of the best talent that was available to them. And that is Howie Roseman is doing a great job, both him and Veach. Brett Veach up in Kansas City does, does a fantastic job with the draft and free agency and you look at what he did adding Donovan Smith at tackle after lose he made the trade initially to bring in the left tackle to help solidify and then he brought in Thune but Orlando Brown Jr. wanted a ton of money couldn't justify paying him that you move on you bring in Donovan Smith who was protecting Tom Brady's last uh blindside the last couple of years at nine million dollars and then you bring in Juwan Taylor so you've got your bookend tackles again. They drafted a Creed Humphreys last year, the center, and they've just fortified that offensive line around Pat. 
And then on the defensive line, you got Chris Jones. You cut uh, Frank Clark. He's gone. He's a free agent. You could possibly see him bring him back on a cheap deal. Maybe not. Who knows? But you've got Felix Anduki Uzuma, the defensive end out of Kansas State. You've got uh, George Karloftis last year, the edge rusher out of Purdue. They And, man, Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie last year. Like, they, corners, defensive line, offensive line, and then they're getting... They're getting pat help. Last year they got Sky Moore early in the draft. This year they go and get Rasheed Rice early in the draft to give him some weapons because you can't pay Ty- Tyreek Hill. You can't. Pay- when you're paying Pat and you're paying Chris Jones and you're paying uh, Travis Kelsey, can't pay everybody. And this is this is the Cowboys. You're paying Dak. You're paying most of that offensive line. Apparently, uh, CD. Trayvon and Micah are all coming up. You can't pay everybody, so eventually difficult decisions have to be made. You're keeping Micah. I guarantee you that. I know they want to keep Trayvon. You want to keep CD. Is it feasible to keep all three of them at the deals they're all going to command and re-sign Dak at the deal he's going to command? You just saw what Lamar got paid. You just saw what Jalen got paid. You've seen what Danny Dimes made before that. Like, they're all, it's going up. The price goes up on quarterbacks. So, at some point, difficult decisions have to be made. Can the Cowboys keep all of them? We'll have to find out. But it's going to be interesting to watch over the next two years, three years, as these contracts all start to kind of come to a head. And the Cowboys are going to have to make some difficult decisions. Let's see how they handle that as we move forward. But as of right now, potential Texans. Cowboys, we know what they are. They're a really good team, and they they do have a chance. They are one of the top three teams in the FC. They could be a Super Bowl team. And that defense is going to be a big, instrumental part of it. NBA playoffs coming up next right here on San Antonio Sports Star. Who do we expect to see in the finals after what we've seen so far right now through, what, two, three games in the second round? I'll let you know who my favorites are coming up next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM and com. Listen to 941 San Antonio Sports Star on your Amazon or Google smart speaker and just say, Alexa, play 941 San Antonio Sports Star. Hollywood Go. Go. Hey, Hollywood. Hey, Hollywood Go. Go. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger. Thanks for joining me this morning. Got about another 15 minutes here. Take you up to the top of the hour. Get you ready. Darius Bieber on our YouTube live feed. Of course, you can comment on our YouTube live feed. Search San Antonio Sports Star. Subscribe and join along also, you can text in on our Kielbasa Smoke Beats phone lines, 656-ESPN, 656-3776. If you want to be a part of the conversation, Darius Bieber says you kind of saw this in this year's draft. A lot of quarterbacks taken late as dart throws. 
trying to land a bullseye. I heard Twitter calling it the Brock Purdy effect. I'm about it. I've said this for a long, long time. I agree with the theory of throwing a dart at the board, hoping you can hit. The Cowboys did that with Dak Prescott. It worked. You found your quarterback of the future. Tony Romo is now gone. He is in the broadcast booth. This is Dak Prescott's team. He took it from them. The same way Brock Purdy took the team from Jimmy G and Trey Lance. If you find that guy, either the other guy or that guy himself, become eminently tradable pieces to where you can get more draft capital from them. There's a guy that I believe that the Minnesota Vikings took that has a chance to become something behind Kirk Cousins when his contract finally expires. His name's Jaron Hall. He's a quarterback out of BYU. No, not the one that's playing in New York. Zach Wilson, two different types of guys, two different mindsets. Um, Jaron Hall is a quarterback I really liked late in this draft. He he goes to the Vikings. I think has a chance there under Kevin O'Connell to do something. But you throw a dart at the board. If it works, cool. You've found either your quarterback at the future on a rookie deal, which allows you to build your team very, very successfully around a quarterback on a rookie deal, or you could trade him or the other guy and recoup draft capital and probably pretty good draft capital. So I have always been a fan of even if you've got your guy, continue to draft guys. We saw it with Jimmy Garoppolo. We saw it with Matt Castle. Like Guys at that position are in desperate need by all teams. We saw it this year. We saw it with the Texans. We saw it with the Colts. We saw it with the um, Tennessee Titans. Everybody's still looking for quarterbacks, and even the teams that didn't get a quarterback this year, they're looking to next year, supposedly. You look at the Washington Commanders. Sam Howell may be it. If he's not, I guarantee you they're going after either Drake May, Michael Penix, San, uh, Quinn Ewers, or the bell of the ball as of this point right now, Caleb Williams. Same can be said for the Atlanta Falcons. If Desmond Ritter's not the guy, they took him in the second round a couple year, uh, years ago. If he's not the guy, they're going to move on real quick. They've got no compunction, no ties to him. He's a second round pick. You got your chance this year. If you do something cool, we struck lightning in a bottle. If not, we're moving on next year. And so the Texans did it with Davis Mills. He flashed his rookie year. They gave him the shot this year. He fell flat on his face. C.J. Stroud is now in the building. It's a lot easier to move on from these quarterbacks, even first-year quarterbacks. Look at the Jets. Zach Wilson didn't work out. Hello, Aaron Rodgers. And especially with veteran big-name quarterbacks. We saw it with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. There is more movement of big-time quarterbacks than there's ever been in this league before, forcing their way to somewhere else. Now, Lamar Jackson, he proved a lot of naysayers wrong. (laughs) And good for him. And Eric DaCosta, the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, talked about letting Lamar go on the non-exclusive tag to try and find his own deal. Yeah, it was a tough decision. I think we spent a lot of time thinking about it, praying on it, trying to, as a group, you know, deciding what's best for the club. And in the end, you know, we just, I guess we just kind of felt like it it was a, it was the best thing for, for Lamar to have the opportunity to kind of get a sense of what was important to him. And he could have conversations if he wanted with other teams to see 
what his value might be, and he could get a chance to talk to other coaches or GMs if he wanted to, to kind of get a sense for the landscape. And I guess in looking at the, the other, the exclusive, um, you know, it's kind of binding in a lot of ways. And so, you know, um, you know, free agency is a chance for players to go out and kind of see what their value could be potentially. And in the end, that was the decision that we made, uh, hoping that we would be sitting here today, that at some point, over the coming months, you know, uh, and we had our moments, but over the coming months, we would have a chance to negotiate again and get a long-term deal done, which proved to be the case. It's a bold move. He lets him go out and see his market and what teams are willing to offer, what teams are willing to pay for him. It could have gone terribly wrong. He could have gotten the blown away offer and they could have moved on, or he could have felt slighted by what the Ravens did and completely just shut it down from there. Now, Lamar said he he talked about what a lot of people criticized him for throughout this whole process, being his own agent. It's a business at the end of the day and if if you're going if you're gonna represent yourself, you know you gotta you gotta have a strong mind. I wouldn't say you get out there and put your feelings in it because it's not about feelings. You know, you can't take things with a Oh, yeah, I don't like what you said. I, I don't agree with this. You know, it's like what they feel is how you feel. You know, it's, it's, it's a grown man thing at the end of the day. So you got to be a grown man if you're going to handle business. And when it came down to it, he proved everyone wrong. I don't really, I, I didn't really like do this to prove anyone wrong or really care about what anyone had to say. You know, it's anything I had to prove myself right. You know, like I know what I'm doing and I felt I, I did the right thing. Proved himself right. He got the deal that he was looking for. One fully guaranteed like Deshaun Watson, but he took Jalen's deal and he one-upped it. And he got exactly what he was looking for. A lot of guaranteed money, some financial security, and the biggest contract in the NFL. Way to go, Lamar Jackson. Plus, he recruited himself an OBJ in the process. Well done by you. Today in the NBA, we have a couple of Game 3s. The Knicks and Heat are playing down in Miami. That series is tied at 1. Jimmy Butler helped the Heat steal Game 1 because playoff Jimmy. He missed after rolling his ankle late in Game 1. He missed Game 2. Of course, all of a sudden, the Knicks are tied up in that series. Jimmy's supposed to be back today. So... Are the Heat the best team in this series? I think so. When healthy, of course. And that's going to be the key thing. How healthy is Jimmy Butler? How good is that ankle as they roll into this game? Don't think it's consequential at all because I think the Celtics, the team of the Saturday morning hangover, if you're a longtime listener, you understand. Me and RJ were looking for a team, not named the Spurs, to cheer for in the playoffs a few years back when the Spurs had first started missing the playoffs. And we're looking to just get behind the playoffs. We settled because of Ime, because of Jalen, because of the the players on that roster and Jason Tatum. We settled on the Celtics. Celtics are the team of the SMH now, and they are the best team in the Eastern Conference, and I believe they will be in the finals. On the Western side of things, it's getting a little more interesting. You get Booker going for 47 and KD going for 39 last night as they pull that series to 2-1. But if that's what it takes to keep the Suns in this series, I don't think they can. I don't think they can do it. 
Denver's playing at a really, really, really high level. And Joker is playing like the MVP, even though Joel Embiid won it. Joker is actually playing like it. And between him and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, with Murray and Porter finally healthy, this team looks like what we thought it may have looked like a few years back, but just couldn't catch the health breaks. Now they are, and they look really good. I expect them to move into the Western Conference Finals, where they'll probably face the other game that's tonight, Warriors-Lakers Game 3. That one's going to be fun, because that series is tied at 1. Lakers stole Game 1, but... The Warriors showed exactly who they were. They ran the ball up and down the court, and I don't think the Lakers can play at that kind of a pace. They have to win the way they won in Game 1. Anthony Davis has to destroy him down low. And what's the one thing we know about Anthony Davis, aside from him, like Chris Paul, never being healthy, he won't consistently destroy you down low. He tends to play away from the basket, and if that's the case... The Warriors are in a good spot, I believe, because they're not going to have a whole lot of off nights, I don't think. They know where the switch is, they found it, and they will end up in the Western Conference Finals, I believe, against the Denver Nuggets. That's a much, much tougher game to predict, though, because you got the defending champs against the up-and-comers, and I really like the way the stars of the Nuggets are playing. While I... At the beginning of the year, or at the beginning of the playoffs, I thought the Warriors were going to get hot, probably ride this thing, and make their way back into the NBA Finals. I do think, especially because of the size, and Joker not afraid to utilize his size, Porter, those guys, I think the Nuggets could be a problem for the Warriors. I think they could, and I think we could get a Denver-Boston Finals this year. Would it be as good as Denver Golden State Part 2? Maybe. Maybe better. But it definitely doesn't have the cachet. It's just very interesting. Drew Show on our YouTube live feed says, Pleasure thoughts on hiring on the Texans hiring Nick Foles as a mentor to CJ. They already have that. His name's Case Keenum. And he's been in this offensive system before when he played both for Kubiak in Houston and Denver. So Nick Foles has never been in a Kyle Shanahan, uh, Gary Kubiak type system. So I don't know what he can impart. Case Keenum will be much better at imparting the wisdom of how to handle this system, how this system works. And I think it's just a better overall fit for the Houston Texans. Personally, and for CJ Stroud's growth. Darius Bieber says, this year's NBA playoffs just shows the level of parity now in the NBA where it's even hard to say that those first upsets are hard to label as upsets. Well, I think part of that too, Warriors were hurt for most of the year. They played terribly on the road. I think they kind of moonwalked through the regular season. You can kind of say the same thing about the Lakers. They didn't put together their team until the trade deadline, really, when they got all those pieces that really helped fortify their roster and put them in this position. Um, as we know, the Heat or the Heat, Jimmy just turns it on in the postseason. He just needs to get into the postseason. He'll be kind of an all-star level player. And then, boom, 
you know, next thing you know, Jimmy Butler is playoff Jimmy, and it's a completely different Heat team. He carried that uh, bubble team to the finals that year, basically on his shoulders. Guys, thanks for riding with me solo this morning. I really appreciate it. Have a fantastic weekend. I am off to go watch Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I'll let you know what I think coming up later. From what I hear, I'm going to need to prepare myself for this one because I may end up just like I woke up from my dream last night with something stuck in my throat. This has been the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star.